Welcome to the Swine Nutrition Black Belt Podcast, the latest swine nutrition research digested for you. Swine Nutrition Black Belt Podcast is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. Find out how to optimize swine health and nutrition at Kemen.com forward slash swine. Novus International Inc., a leader in swine nutrition solutions driven by science. Hubbard Feeds, research-driven and focused on helping you achieve your goals. Fibro Animal Health Corporation, healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Lifestart Swine, facilitated by Trow Nutrition, distilled science and real-world advice for better on-farm decisions. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. My name is Clayton Chastain, your host for today's episode. Today I have with me Dr. Grace Elijah. She received her DVM from Kansas State and is now working toward her PhD. So Dr. Elijah, do you mind telling me a little bit about the study that you conducted? Absolutely. Um, So it's titled, it's a research report through um, Kansas State's uh, research and extension that we released um, for Swine Day this past fall. Um, And it's titled Quantification of Semi-Truck Cab uh, Decontamination. Um, We originally looked into this project because we had some data um, that we have published looking at ASF or African swine fever uh, contamination within a production system and how truck cabs were kind of always popping positive for ASF. Um, And so kind of going off Laura Grainer's work too, looking at foot pedals um, within a production or feed mill that were always positive for PEDV, we kind of... um, wanted to evaluate commercially available disinfectants and application methods to see if we could get as good um, decontamination within a truck cab as we do similarly um, in our trailers. Um, So how we did this was we actually um, have um, life-size semi-truck cabs that we bought through a salvage yard um, in Beloit, Kansas, and we brought them into the uh, OH crews Feed Technology Innovation Center, and we have a feed uh, science research center that is a BSL-2 lab. And how we did this was we took um, little coupons, we call them, but they're just little tiny squares, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters of plastic, fabric, and rubber. And we would inoculate those with porcine epidemic diarrhea virus or porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus. And we would put those uh, coupons in the truck cab, and then we would apply a disinfectant treatment. And we landed on seven or eight different treatments. Excuse me. Um, it was a lot. Um, <laughs> we randomly applied them to each truck cab, but we had three replicates. Um, so one was just no disinfectant at all. Um, just let them sit in there for 15 minutes and then swab. And then the second one was we use a hurricane fumigation application and we ran uh, either synergize or intervention through. Um, Then we looked at pump sprayer application because that's quite popular too. And um, we used again intervention and synergize, but we also used a 10% bleach 
Um, then after that, we evaluated just a 10-hour downtime period. So those coupons would sit with a 10 out for 10 hours in that truck cab. And then we found a new product. Um, it was through a company called Procure. It's their uh, gaseous fumigation application. It's a chlorine dioxide water-based um, that you, um, in talking with the company, we let it sit for 10 hours. So at night, we would come in and put one cab, the 10-hour downtime with no chemical treatment, and then we would put the gaseous fumigation in the other. And um, then we ran those through um, a PCR reaction and got cycle threshold values or CT values. And that's ultimately what we based off our results off first for this um, data. Um, it's not, I mean, there is a limitation with PCR. There's an infectivity piece. We don't really know for sure, but um, we are in the talks of planning a bioassay to fully complete this research report. So. Gotcha. And so um, what did you really see from these? Was one disinfectant strategy better than the other or certain uh, types of fabric easier to disinfect than the others? Or? <laughs> um, it really wasn't conclusive on anything, um, which is kind of the beauty of it, but also the downside because mm -hmm. walking away from this, we thought we would be able to have some solid recommendations, but ultimately we didn't. Um, I will say that our fabric surfaces tended to have a higher CT value, so less uh, RNA detected from PEDV and PERS, but the limitation there is like how much of that was just our sampling method because we did environmentally swab that fabric and that um, fabric absorbing that virus and disinfectant. But um, it was really interesting because um, we thought for sure rubber and plastic would have higher CT values, but coming out of it, it was not what we saw um, statistically. And um, it was really interesting. Um, so further highlighting the importance of that bioassay piece to determine infectivity, kind of look at like how we interpret CT value and with these disinfectants and um, infectivity piece as well. So. Gotcha. So from what I saw from the results, it seemed like the fabric and rubber were actually the easiest to disinfect and the plastic was the hardest, right. which surprised me because I figured like the least porous thing would right. be the easiest to disinfect there. So why do you think that is? Um, I think too. So before we even started this, we standardized all of our disinfectant. And so what I did was I had litmus paper, um, the same size as what would be our, our surface coupons. And so we actually chose the dashboard as our plastic. And so maybe accessibility, like, cause rubber was down on the floor and fabric was right there. And so when we're thinking about how we standardize our disinfectant protocols for the study, the application was like right there, I guess, in a sense for, um, the fabric and the rubber and that dash is angled too. So maybe that plays a part into it. Um, it's hard to say, but is, I mean, we did the best with what we thought we could. Mm -hmm. So, um, that might play a piece into it, but I, it's really hard to look at it now because I'm waiting on that bioassay piece to make some true like conclusions. Right. This data, so. To feed the world's growing population, the animal production industry needs to grow in a sustainable manner. Eastman produces one of the broadest organic acid portfolios in the global market and offers customer-driven swine solutions. Learn more by visiting Animal Nutrition at EASTMAN.com. So I guess we are kind of waiting on that um, 
last piece. But um, since none of the results were very conclusive, what do you think the next steps are for this? I think, but this, I think there's one piece though that really highlighted that we didn't really get a sterilizing effect. Um, so further highlighting that um, bioexclusion is the best practice. Um, but I think too, just applying a disinfectant to that truck cab um, is probably a next step and making sure that's standardized. But definitely um, there are some important pieces that we learned, but there's still work to do um, with a bioassay for this work. So, All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And for everyone else, thank you for listening to the Swine Nutrition Black Belt Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel so you won't miss out on the latest episode. See you next week. Hey, everyone. We're always searching for the latest and greatest research to share each week. If you have a swine nutrition-related research trial and would like to come on the show to talk about it and share with us, feel free to send an email to nutritionblackbelt at swineit.com and we would love to take a look at your research.